Misty, how are ye? Welcome to the Candlelit Tales podcast. My name is Aaron and, well, we'll be listening to the very last story of the Voyage series that we've released. This is the Voyage of Mael Doon. Now, if you haven't listened to our previous stories or if you're new and you haven't checked us out yet, we have a rake of stories. Go back and listen to some of them before you start listening to this really mad story or just do what you want and listen to this mad story. It is told by myself and my sister with music from Rory O'Shea and we'll be having a chat about this story in our very next episode. Now, this is all possible because the support that we get from Patreon. People have gone to patreon.com forward slash candletales to throw us the price of a pint and it helps massively. Thank you for doing that, all of you. And now, without further ado, we're going to hear today's story, The Voyage of Maeldun. Maeldun was the son of the king and the queen. He knew it. Everyone knew it. He had three brothers, and they were as close as brothers could be, the four of them, raised in the one cradle, on the one lap, on the one breast. And Maeldun was the favourite child of all of them. He was the best in all their sports and games. He was the most beautiful, the brightest, the quickest, the kindest. And in every game, Maeldun won. And in every test of strength, He was the strongest. In every test of speed, he was the quickest. One day, in the midst of one of their games and one of their sports, when Maeldun was a young man now, another warrior looked at him, sneered at him, and said, It's a shame on all of us to be bested by a man who doesn't know his own father or his own mother. Maeldun was confused by this. He knew his father and mother. They were the king and the queen. But the man's words stayed with him. And so that evening, when he went home to his mother, and they sat down to dinner together, Maeldun looked at her, and he said, Tell me, my parents. And she said, I'm your mother. Don't pay any heed to the words of envious men. I am your mother. And I love you more than any parent could ever love a child. But Maeldun fixed her still with his eyes and he said, Tell me who my parents are. And I will not eat nor drink until you tell me the truth of this. She was silent then for a while. She stared into space. She told him again that she loved him, that he was her son, and always had been. But then she told him to make ready for a journey. And the queen brought Maeldun to meet a prioress, a holy woman, in a church quite a distance away. This was the queen's own sister. She had given birth to Maeldun and had given him straight away to her sister the Queen to raise as her own child, alongside her own children. And when Maeldun met the prioress, he looked long at her, like he was drinking her in. And then he asked her who his father was. It was clear enough to him why she'd let him go. She was a prioress. 
Her path in life was not one of family and children. But still, there was another piece he wanted to know. And she told him that his father was dead. His father was a warrior of the Agonokta, called Oliel of the Edge of Battle. And she told Maeldun that Oliel of the Edge of Battle had been slain in a raid by men of Leeks, a tribe of seafarers who lived on an island off the west coast. But, she said to Maeldun, your father was not a good man, and you're better off not knowing him. And it's better that he's dead. What she did not tell Maeldun was the story of the one time she had met Oliel of the Edge of Battle. He and the warriors of the Agonokta had come raiding close to her church. And that night, when the warriors and the raiders had camped nearby, she had gone about her business in the abbey, lighting the candles at midnight, making ready for the prayers and the services. And a warrior had come upon her, stopped her in the halls, attacked her, forced himself on her. But in that moment, she was not thinking of her pain. She was not thinking of her fear. She was thinking ahead. She was thinking, what an unlucky time. How odd that it would happen now. It was the time when she could conceive. And she knew there was a strong chance she'd carry a child. A child fathered by this brutal, violent man. This man she'd never met before and hoped she'd never meet again. And she looked at him then and said, You need to give me your name. And she told him why. And she took his name. And she kept it. But when the child was born, she found she had no intention of going near that man or any of his people. She wanted nothing to do with any of them. And so she took the child to her sister instead and asked her sister to raise him and raise him well. And when she heard that Oliel of the Edge of Battle had been killed in a raid and his body burned in a church, she was not happy, exactly. Happiness was not the right word for what she felt. But she did feel a strange relief, a lightening of her spirit, knowing now that there was no chance that she would ever have to run into that man again. But she did not tell the young man sitting before her all of this story. She told him only as much as she thought he needed to hear. And she sent him on his way to go and find his father's people because she knew she had nothing left to give him. Maeldun went on to find the Ogonokta and his three foster brothers came with him. And when he arrived to those people and told them that he was the son of their great warrior, all ill of the edge of battle, they welcomed him in with open arms. They were delighted with him. And Maeldun, all of his skill and his strength and his beauty, 
He shone as brightly with this new family as he had in his old. Now, some time after he came to the Agonachta, he and his friends, the other youths of the tribe, they went to a strange old ruined church and they were throwing stones over the walls. But someone called out to Maeldun, a man of the church named Brickna, and called out that there he was, making a game over the burnt bare bones of his own father. And that shocked Maeldun to hear. But Brickna told him, all ill of the edge of battle had been killed in that very church, and the church burned down around him. And this, this was all done by marauders of leeks. And Maeldun asked, where is this country of leeks, and how does one come to it? But Brickna told him it could only be got to by sea. And so Maeldun drew his cloak around him and hung his head and walked off to think. He knew it was his duty to avenge the death of his father. But he remembered the prioress, his mother, and the way she had looked when she spoke of the man who'd fathered him. And he remembered her silence and how her eyes slid away to a corner and would not look back at him. But duty was the thing that he came back to. His father was dead and it was his duty to avenge him. So Maeldun went to consult with a wise man. The druid Nuka lived nearby and Nuka told Maeldun to take 17 men and told him the day to start building a boat and told him the day to launch his voyage and told him the way to sail to the islands of Leeks, two small little ragged islands off the coast. And Maeldun went and made his preparations. He made a boat with three hides, and he collected his company of 17 men. He picked them very carefully, each one with a skill and a talent he could use on a voyage. And when he was ready, and the boat was well supplied and equipped, and the day appointed by the druid had come, Maeldun and his company set off. Maeldun's foster brothers had come to see him off, but as soon as he set sail, the three of them began to cry out. They called out to him to come back. They couldn't bear to see him go, to come back and bring them with him. But Maeldun said, no, I was told only 17 could come, and you... You'll upset the count. But the foster brothers, they ran into the ocean. They swam up to their necks and they said, Maeldun, if you don't come back for us, we'll swim out after you until we drown. And so Maeldun was forced to turn and gather them up into the boat. Still, he hoped that having set sail with Seventeen would be enough that the luck the druid promised him would still be with him. And it seemed that it was. Because they sailed. They sailed in the direction the druid told them to. And they came to the two little islands he had described. 
and they were so small, and the houses so close to the coastline. You could hear the voices coming out through the windows. And Maeldun and his sailors, they sailed around the island, looking for a landing place. And they heard a warrior telling a story, a tale he was wrapped up in, a retelling of a raid he'd been on once in his youth, telling how he'd slain a great warrior and burned a church to the ground around him. And Maeldun knew. That voice belonged to the man who killed his father. And so, he gave the order to land the ship and to attack, but before they could land, the winds picked up and blew them back from the jagged coast. The waves rose around them, crashing over the ship, almost sweeping them into the sea. They were tossed to and fro by a terrible, sudden storm that blew up out of nowhere. For three days and three nights, they were racked and they were tossed and they were flung about by this terrible storm. At last, the terrible storm finally blew itself out. And And when when they they looked looked up up again, again, a mist had descended, thick and blinding, an eerie silence, until a gust of wind blew their sails and they were on their way into what felt like the other world. When the mist cleared, they saw islands aplenty scattered out across the horizon. Small islands of all shapes and sizes scattered right throughout the horizon that they now looked upon. Maeldun realized they had been thrown into the other world, but their voyage must continue. The first island they came to, they came close enough to until they saw terrible talons and great giant ants with huge eyes and pincers coming towards them. They left that island to approach one that looked like it had tame birds upon it. But as they got closer, these birds with many colors on their feathers They were huge and giant, and they spread their wings and flew away as they came close to the island. They would voyage around all of these islands and find somewhere to land. But they heard the sound of hooves beating as they approached the next island. And as they peered onto the shores, they saw horses that looked like demons the other world. Flaming ears, piercing eyes and sharp teeth, as they sailed away, they saw another demon horse race skirt around a nearby island, flames coming up from the hooves that landed on the earth, and they could not land on that island either. Now days had gone on, 
Not so long as they could not find how much time had gone by, but so much so that their food provisions had fallen by the wayside. And so they were in need of stopping to replenish their provisions. And the next island they stopped at was deserted. A hall was in the center of it, and they could smell beautiful food. A huge feast full of cooked salmon was on the table for them. And when they came in and ate their fill for three days and three nights, they woke up, and they were back on their boats once more. Still with provisions low now, they knew they needed to stock up but still thankful for this reprieve from their hunger and their bellies now not aching, they saw a lonely apple tree sitting on a rock, an island you could call it, but this apple tree had golden apples on it. Maeldun gathered a branch, and when he ate from the apple, it was regrown in his hand. And for seven days and seven nights, they ate from these apples and they did not diminish. Till they came across an island with a huge beast upon it, staring with one eye, this beast dared them to come closer. They saw with a horrible feeling in their stomach that this creature was moving inside of its own skin revolving its entire body and being around and within itself until the great monster revealed its fearsome teeth, calling to them to land there. They skirted on by until they saw a river flowing down, full of blood on the next island. Maeldun ordered them to sail close to see what this river of blood could possibly be, and sure enough, they saw monster-like horses on this island. But instead of racing one another, they were taking great bites out of the other, as blood poured down this river, flowing through the island and into the sea. Next, they saw an island full of swine small piggines and little ones all running around this island. They thought finally they would be able to hunt as much as they could kill and fill themselves full. But as they were landing, the sun was setting and as the sun set, the swine erupted into flames, the back of them hairy now turned fire and all of them squawked and squealed and ran about the place, scaring the men off till they ran back to their boats. They came to another island not so long after that. And this one, they saw nothing but cats all over the island. And they seemed to allow these strangers to come on to their land and almost usher them into a great hall that was built in the center of the island. When they opened the creaking door, dust fell. And as they peered inside the darkened hall, they were surprised to see eloquence and beauty of the greatest finery. Dazzling tapestries hung from the wall, ornate jewellery spread out all over, 
The table was so beautifully decorated with gold and silver all about it. Even the knives and forks were golden, the bowls silver, the goblets bronze. Everything about this place was so fine and rich, but all the twenty men could see was the delicious, beautiful meat and chicken and turkey and ham let out on the plates and dinner table. They had no eyes for the jewels and metals and ornate gold. Instead, they filled their stomachs. But Maeldun's foster brother, he had eyes for his golden spoon. The leering cats made Maeldun aware that no one should dare take any of these jewels. So he ordered all of his men to eat as much as they wanted, but not to take anything from the cats. All agreed, but for Maeldun's foster brother. He simply slipped the spoon inside his pocket, and as they were leaving, felt sure he would not get caught. But as they left the door, all of the cats pounced upon him, jumping and scratching and calling, and as the man shrieked, he erupted into flames and left nothing but ash behind him. Maeldun hurried back to his boat and now knew he needed to hurry if he wanted to get back to Ireland. He passed a strange island then, with sheep almost making him feel homesick for the look of them. But there was black sheep and white sheep on this island, and one strange, strong, tall man standing in between them. And when he picked a white sheep up from the white side and put it down onto the black sheep's side, it would turn black. And when he picked up a black sheep from the black sheep's side and put it on the white sheep's side, it turned white. And they decided to leave him at that. As they sailed on and came to the miller of regret. The miller was milling through gold and beautiful ornaments and jewels and silver and when they called to him to ask him why he was doing what he was doing he replied I am the miller of regret and all of the jewels of the wealthy that are burning in hell are giving me their gold and jewels to mill down nothing after they die they sailed on then and came to a strange island full of oxen but they could not get upon the island for a river flowing was full of acid so they kept on going leaving the oxen behind now knowing they needed to find some way to survive in this other world they came then to a strange island full of weeping and sadness, sorrow, but all of the people, they could see people for the first time in so long, but they were crying. And no matter how they called and asked and begged them to come and explain what was so sorry for them, till one of Maeldun's brothers jumped out to ask and grab one of the men why he was so sad. And the moment his feet touched the ground, tears fell abound on his face. And he turned back and wailed and lost his mind to the sadness. And they had to go on and leaving that brother behind. Then they came to a strange crystal bridge, flying from one small island way, way up to a tower 
beautiful and made out of glass. They went upon this beautiful mystical crystal bridge and landed in a hall of finery with one woman there to greet them. She was so beautiful and elegant, a new male doon by his name. They were given a great feast and drink and were merry until male doon asked this woman if she would marry him. She said no right away, but he gathered up his courage now and drank a bit more and asked her again and she politely and kindly said no. And once more he filled up his goblet and drank some down and then turned around and asked once more, would you not be my wife? They woke up and they were on their boat. No crystal bridge, no beautiful lady. They were on their own. And they were sailing off for three days and three nights until they heard human voices coming across the waves. And they paddled and they strained to try and get close to this island to hear the voices. But then when they looked up, they saw birds speaking at them, taunting them, cackling and calling till they rowed away. And they saw a strange hermit singing on his own on an island of rocks psalms they could hear and they recognized them but they left him all alone until they came to a four-cornered island with queens on one corner kings on the other youths on one and maidens in the last they tried to land on the land with the maidens but a great blast of wind blew and they came closer to an island had a blacksmith's forge and a fire lighting. As they sailed towards it, they could see this building was huge. And as they saw the door open, they saw a giant blacksmith come and then call to his friends, Look, they're coming this way. <laughs> we'll eat them up, all of them, and invite them for a feast. Maeldun and his companions realized these giants would eat them if they landed there. Although they were waving and calling and beckoning them to land, they began to row backwards. And just as they were out of distance, they rowed back away and the angry blacksmiths threw hurtling fiery flames of rock at them. But they landed just out of sight. Then the water moved and changed. It became crystal-like, and they saw a great huge fort below the water. Green and brilliant, the towers and turrets of a great castle, and a serpent, a huge being swimming in and around with emerald-like scales and huge snarling teeth as it opened its mouth wide but scurried back down beneath the depths of the sea. They looked to their right and there they saw a great pedestal. It went from the sea right up to the clouds and from it a huge net of green rope hanging from it as if to catch an almighty beast. And from this pedestal they heard a voice calling to them, asking them to land 
on this one strange isle. But they left that strange place as the winds kept moving and blowing them and they kept rowing and any time they grew hungry they took a bite of the golden apples that could still sustain them. And then they came to an island as the sun was shining and they heard voices and singing and laughter and a beach a beautiful soft strand with sand so inviting and warm as they landed on this island they saw women they heard women laughing and running down with their soft feet and their beautiful curves their long luscious hair and delightful smiles the island of women they landed upon and so long they stayed with embrace and love this island that too much time seemed to go by and Maeldoon out of the corner of his eye saw them whispering amongst one another and scheming and plotting to keep them there for long after they would want to be there for and so they ran away back to their boat and although the queen of the island of women was heartbroken to see Maeldoon go she tried her best to reel him back in with a ball of string. It didn't quite work, for Maeldoon dropped it into the ocean and continued to sail. They were gone for a while until they landed on an island with strange fruit. And Maeldoon picked it up and had a little bite out of one until he got completely intoxicated and in doing so they realized if they could simply make some form of drink out of this intoxicating fruit they might actually be able to survive this strange time in the other world and so for the rest of their days they had some form of pochine made out of this strange fruit that kept them sane but not altogether sober. That's why when they saw a river upside down with salmon teeming like rain from it onto an island with a small house upon it, they simply sailed underneath it, collected all the salmon they could want and kept on going, lighting fire, drinking their pochine of forbidden strange fruit and eating their fill of salmon from the river of salmon that landed on their head. <laughs> Next they saw an island of strange looking people holding nuts in their hands, shouting, it is they, it is they, and throwing their nuts away. They came to an island much like the sadness. This was full of laughter, and people were delirious with laughter. This time when they saw them, they did not ask them why they were laughing so. But Maeldun's final foster brother, the third brother, the one that made them 18 men, not 17 as they should have been, jumped out of his boat and landed on the island and lost all of his grief and his sadness and laughed with the people of the island of laughter. And they left him there as they sailed on to an island with one man on it. This man claimed to be Brendan the Burr. And he was sitting there doing penance for a strange thing once upon a time. He told him his story of stealing great finery from a feast once upon a time and how he had been kicked out of his home, wandered all alone until he had found himself on this island. 
with penance to give, to ask for forgiveness. And in doing so, he had found a much more bountiful life out here in the wilds and weirdness of it all. For anyone who went with resentment in their heart and hatred would never be able to forgive themselves and they would not be able to love life to its fullest, not unless forgiveness was given to all underneath God's sun. Maeldun heard these words and left that island with the hermit there doing his penance. The next place they saw was an island with a wall of fire running around it, a great wheel turning and one doorway spinning right the way around. When they saw inside it, they saw the faces of people they had known, people they thought had died, people in another life. And when they moved around once more, Maeldun shook his head and gave the order to set sail away from there. For now he knew Seventeen men in his crew and forgiveness in his heart. Something would change. And, and when, when they, they looked, looked up again, again, they saw a sight for sore eyes. They saw the green coast and the gentle hills of their own homeland. They saw Ireland. Wearied by their long and strange journey. They made for shore, but on their way, they passed two more islands, small and jagged, the islands of lakes. Maeldun looked out now with new eyes. He saw that same house, the window was open. The conversation from inside could still be heard. For a moment he had a strange sensation, as if it were the same day on which he'd left. And as he listened, he heard that the story was the same. The voice telling it was the same. The story was different now. It was not a story of triumph and victory. It was a story of regret. A man talking about how he had killed another man in a holy place. How he dreamed of it still. The flames, the screams, the terror, the pain. How he wished he might meet that man's son and that man's family and beg for their forgiveness. And Maeldun and his men, his 17 men, they landed and the people of Leeks came out to meet them. And when they saw who it was, that it was Maeldun, the son of all ill of the edge of battle, 
who had been missing from the Agonachta for so very long, who had been lost, so everyone thought. They gave a great welcome to him, dressed them in new garments, laid out a feast before them, and had Maeldun and his companions tell them everything that they had been through. This podcast was produced and edited by Rory O'Shea and Oshin Ryan. You can find out more about us at our website, candlelittales.ie. And we're on all the social media as well. So like us and follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Candlelit Tales or send us a message to get onto our mailing list. For more videos and live streams, like and subscribe to our Candlelit Tales YouTube channel, which now has a Candlelit Tales for Kids playlist. Hashtag Candlelittle Tales. Liking and subscribing to our channel really helps us grow and gets us out to more people. And if you'd be able to give us a little bit more direct support, you can chip in a few bob at patreon.com forward slash Tales or make a one-off donation through the PayPal button on our website. We really like to hear back from you with your questions and requests. So please feel free to contact us directly or leave your question in the comments section below. Because what we really want to do is get these stories out there. Share them with as many people as possible. So anything you can do to help, we really appreciate. And we really especially appreciate you just listening. Till next time. You.